Hello, and welcome to GameCast, a podcast about gaming created by us, students in David Morgan's first-year writing class at Emory University. Read, write, play. Some have claimed that video games are becoming the greatest storytelling medium of our age. So we will explore the impact of this developing medium on our society. Each week for the rest of the semester, a pair of students will play a game and discuss it using terms and ideas from Ian Bogost's Doing Things with Video Games. We hope that we can investigate and describe a wide variety of innovative methods of expressive representation. You can find us on the web at bit.ly slash rwpgamecast. and this is Marina. Hey, I hope your day is going great. If not, it will definitely take a brighter turn after you listen to our podcast. Because today we're going to talk about a great survival game, Don't Starve. So we will not only be talking about the video game and what happens in it, but we will also link it to Ian Bogo's work, what to do things with video games, and relate it to the term reverence. And in the end, we will have a little bonus for you guys. A guest speaker who is a passionate gamer will talk about his personal experience with his game. So, first of all, I am confused. What is Don't Starve? The title kind of scares me. I feel like I'm being threatened. In its core, Don't Starve is a survival game, where a player is left to his or her own devices and has to figure out how to survive. However, the given instructions are minimal, and it can take a while for a player to realize what is going on. The reason why the game is called Don't Starve is because that character that you're playing has three categories of well-being. Health, sanity and hunger. Hunger is the, one, the fastest category to decrease and affects the other ones as well. Thus, you need to pay a lot of attention to the hunger points of your character and get creative in what you feed him. So, it's pretty much a typical survival game like any other and it doesn't even look that scary. And also, what do you mean by being creative in fitting your character? Don't Starve may look the same as the other survival games but it's quite different and the difference is its storyline. A mad scientist is tricked by an evil wizard and is sent to an imaginary world that is full of scary monsters that are constantly trying to kill you. At the beginning you have no equipment at all and you only have basic knowledge of a scientist upon how to create an axe or a shovel. As the game goes on you unlock more devices that you can create and you can make things like a lightning rod to make sure that you're safe during thunderstorm or I don't know, a fridge to keep, make, to keep your drinks cold. As for instructions, you only get cynical comments from your characters as you explore around and have to guess which food will provide you with more nutrients and what is the best way to cook it. So, I understand that this game requires the gamer to be creative, but at one point, doesn't it start to be repetitive and thus diminishes the skills of creativity as you move on? No, actually it doesn't. First of all, the world that you're placed on is huge. There are many different biomes such as forest, savanna, grassland and the like. This gives you an idea of where to find various resources and where to place your camp. Also, you meet other characters such as buffaloes and pigs that only attack if they feel threatened. Thus, you get some interactions and get some friends within the world. What is also interesting is the game within the game is the time. The creators made sure that nothing is sta static and what is the time goes on. 
For example, you get friendly with a family of pigs only to find out that they go berserk during the full moon. Or to realize that during the springtime buffaloes start attacking you for no reason, because of their mating season. So including this makes the game much more realistic, even though the style of the game is very cartoon-like. So, what do you mean by cartoon-like? Well, it's presented from a 2D perspective, which is pretty unusual for modern games, and the art is clearly inspired by Tim Burton. So if you're a fan of his cartoons, you're in for a treat. As well as that, the names of the characters and different monsters are very adorable. For example, in one of the DLCs you can meet a herd of catcoons, which is a mix of raccoons and cats. So cute. So, while in the game is shown to be very cute and cartoon-like, it still carries pretty realistic ideas about environment and change of seasons. Exactly. Although you think your world is huge and it's only for yourself, you have to make sure that your environment is sustainable. You can quickly cut down all the trees around yourself, and if you don't plant them again, they will never grow back, and they take a while to do so. So, all the points that we've just discussed actually reminded me of Ian Boko's work, How to Do Things with Video Games. So as he expressed himself, and I'm sure we both agree and that most gamers will also agree, that most people associate video games with violence. But we feel that they can actually serve important functions, such as the simulation of a real world, which most survival games do. So one of the most important terms that he talks about is reverence, defining it as a simulation of a real world. So I'm a bit confused. How does reverence tie to the Don't Start? So, well, let me explain. Reverence closely ties to the simulation of a real world and how we can depict it through a video game. You see, Don't Starve tries to highlight as many real-world issues, such as the depletion of resources, interaction between individuals within the game and their conflicts, and a subtle climate change because when I pl played the game, I often found that the more I progressed, the harder the seasons were to survive through, as the weather can be very unpredictable. But with the art style, Don't Starve doesn't look that realistic. Plus, the music which you're hearing now from the Don't Starve creates it far away from the reality. Are there any other cases where the similarities are too close and realistic of the game? Well, Ian Bogos mentions throughout his writing about the case where the Church of England threatened to sue the Sony company in because it depicted too realistically the Manchester Cathedral within the game Resistance. So the church saw it as a subtle way of linking the violence of the game and thus the church, which they found to be very expensive. Right. Don't Starve doesn't call for such controversy, but it evokes strong emotions within the players, such as frustration. Yeah, I felt very annoyed that they kept, the game kept on getting harder and harder, and although I was developing my character, the opposition that I faced just grew stronger instead. And this, for me, differed from the usual survival games. And Anne Bogos actually says how video games can be similar to a simulation of a real world, as he expresses, that they have a unique power to simulate the experience thanks to their propensity to world-building. Yes, just like real life, things get more complicated as you grow into adulthood and have more responsibilities for yourself. Actually, this raises another point of this game, which is the ending. I played it and realized that by simply surviving, you don't end the game. You have to actually collect certain items to build a teleport, and when you go through some survival challenges, you finally see the epilogue of the game. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting, although we're going to spoil for you guys, but in the end, you confront a mage that tricked you into the world only to find out that when you kill him, you take over his place, and now it's your turn to lure someone in. 
So this actually mirrors the cycle of life and tests the human morals, because the creators even write a question in the end, which is, will your character suffer alone in the dark world or lure someone else to free himself? And you finally understand that the mage, when you're in his shoes and realize he wasn't that bad. And interesting enough, when you think you finish the game and you see the epilogue, it automatically starts over again and you unlock the character of the dark mage. So, to sum up, Don't Start raises two huge realistic questions. How do we sustain ourselves and how to interact with each other? We often think that our world is huge and that there are so many resources only to realize that we run out of them pretty quickly if we don't pay attention. Right, and as for interaction, we need to coexist with each other to minimize the conflicts. And also, in order to understand somebody, we need to place ourselves in their shoes, just like you do with the mage. Because you can only understand the reason for their action, and maybe you will behave the same way if you were them. Actually, it's also interesting, what also interesting are the steps in which you approach the game, and how you play it. Because I know that you, Christine, had a very different approach from mine in terms of this game, right? Yes, and I actually think everyone has a different way of approaching it, which is why now, I think, is the great time to introduce our bonus, also known as the guest speaker, Alan. Hey Alan, thanks for coming, how are you? Hey guys, I'm well. So, Alan, what did you think of the game, and how did you approach it? I really enjoyed the game, although a lot of times I was testing my patience on the fact that once you die, the game is over. It annoyed me quite a bit. I always go by the same system, which is exploring the world as much as possible and then setting my camp near a pig village or a buffalo herd. And I would just develop my village as much as possible. I started the game quite different. I would have multiple camps at once, so as I explore the world in early stages, I would build like a fire pit with a little food station with a daily travel between each other, so then I can stop by them as I go through and, um, and explore the world. And then when I find the perfect location, then only I establish a camp. Then I'm a completely different approach person, because instead of simply surviving, I focused on finishing the game and oh. finding those items for a teleport to see that epilogue and have the sense of completion. Although, as we mentioned before, there is no actual ending in, within this game. That also reminds me of the real life. The whole choice that young adults face right now between settlement and career, doesn't it? Yes, and also what is really frustrating is that there's no guidance throughout the game. And you have to rely a lot upon your own trial and error. I actually got really annoyed and went on YouTube to look Different, look, look up different tricks on how to survive longer. That reminds me that there is even a Don't Starve survival app for iPhone which has some info of going through the game. Well, that's cheating. I feel that it is much more interesting to see how everyone has his or her own approach to the game and that this is where the creativity of a player is shown. And that is why I found the new DLC that allows multiplayer much more interesting. Are you talking about Don't Starve Together? Yes, the multiplayer component emphasizes the component of coexisting and multiple decision-making because now you've got two people who are using your resources and live in the environment, so you really need to think about how to allocate those resources. Oh yeah, and the whole approach of the game comes in play as well, because you need to cooperate with each other. To be honest, from, from what it sounds, I, won't, I wouldn't be able to play with Christine at her fast pace through the game. <laughs> <laughs> what the creators are aiming at, highlighting the differences of our ways of thinking. Well, it was nice talking to you, Alan, and it was fun analyzing this game. 
yeah, I really enjoyed playing it through as well, and I think you guys will have fun. So definitely give it a try. Leave a comment if you want to, more, to know more about the game. We would love to hear your opinions. Bye!